I've had recognizable talent and, and recognizable intelligence. I can't be one of those people that can't get this thing, but the evidence says I am. And I did a dumb thing. I said, God, God, if you're there, please help me. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Doug R. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to hear so much more from Doug R. in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode right here is being brought to you by Anna and Clinton and Terry and Kurt and Todd and Joshua and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn. Excuse me, my voice is cracking up a little bit there. Do you know what Anna and Clinton and Terry and Kurt and Todd and Joshua and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn did. Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a a contribution. So thank you, Anna and Clinton and Terry and Kurt and Todd and Joshua and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. I'm so glad you've joined us today. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Remember, No matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table for all, and we are excited that you have joined us. Just have a couple things today here on the front end. I wanted to to share with you, well, two things. Number one, what I heard on the radio here this past week. I heard somebody talking, and they said, This really resonated with me. It says, prayer is not asking God to do what I want. It's asking God to do what is right. Let me say that again. Prayer is not asking God to do what I want. It is asking God to do what is right. And that so much lines up with the 11th step in uh, our program 
And it says, uh, uh, continue to take prayer and meditation. <laughs> Wait a sec, I, I forgot it. Um, you know what I'm talking about there, asking God only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. It was so nice. And here's something else I heard this week is for, not heard, but I read. Rick R. Uh, posted in our uh, super secret Facebook group. By the way, if you want to be there, just go to Facebook, look up Sober Speak Secret Group, and ask for admission in there, and we will get you in. So Rick R. posted in there this week, though, something that I read, uh, it helped me, and so I'm going to pass it on to you. And this is from page 130 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, We have come to believe he would like us to keep our heads in the clouds with him, but that our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. This is where our fellow travelers are, and that is where our work must be done. These are realities for us. We have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. That's from page 130, once again, of the big book. And let me go ahead and read that first part just again. We have come to believe he would like us to keep our heads in the clouds with him, but that our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. That is where our fellow travelers are, and that is where our work must be done. Thank you, Rick R., for posting that. Now, on to our featured speaker, or featured guest, whatever you want to call it, speaker, guest of the week. And this is Mr. Doug R. from California. And we're calling this episode, God, If You Were There, Please help me. Like I said, Doug is from, ooh, uh, how do you pronounce it? To, to, uh, we talk about it on the beginning of the episode. But anyway, he's from California, and I think it's Tujunga, if I'm not mistaken. But nonetheless, Doug has been sober since 1987. That is 34 years. Doug talks about what makes an alcoholic an alcoholic. Um, we talk about his relationship with uh, Steve Martin. Yes, the Steve Martin. And Doug's involvement in the play uh, Hairspray for many, many years and what that experience was like. Doug talks about sucking whiskey out of his bedspread. <laughs> yeah, you know those lines where, you know, how it says, uh, you could tell you're an alcoholic if... Right, that would be one of those lines. You were sucking whiskey out of your bedspread. You were probably an alcoholic. Anyway, we did run out of time on Doug's story, and I have scheduled him for a follow-up uh, later this year to finish out a story. Uh, to finish out a story, we ended up right when he was getting sober. But nonetheless, go ahead, sit back, enjoy Doug R. And remember, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy Doug. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Doug R. of, and I will let you pronounce the name of the town that you're from. But Doug R., why don't you go ahead and tell people, uh, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live. All right. And my name is, and thank you, John. My name is Doug, a grateful alcoholic. And, uh, um, my sobriety date is June 7, 1987. 
my uh, my home group is this small new group called the New Attitude Group of AA in Burbank, California. And my wife, Carla, and I live in Tahunga, California, which is actually inside the city limits of L.A., uh, which is, but L.A. being 450 square miles, we break it up into sections. And Tahunga is in the foothills of the Angeles Forest. So it's right on the edge of the forest and 20 minutes from downtown L.A. And uh, it's a, Tahunga is a Spanish spelling, T-U-J-U-N-G-A, a Spanish spelling of an Indian word. It's not a Spanish word. It's an Indian word, which there's some some uh, controversy about what it means. Some people say it means Mother Earth. It probably means the place where the rocks are, uh, because if you stick a shovel in the ground, you're going to hit a rock the size of your fist. Not a lot of crops around here, but a lot of stone houses and fences. But a friend of mine said, it's an Indian word, which means, where the hell did all these Harleys come from? So, uh, <laughs> and my sponsor, my sponsor's name is Ralph White, who uh, you may have been a guest on on your uh, on your podcast, Jonathan. No, but you know what? I tried to reach out to him, and he never did get back with me. So maybe with your help, we can actually get him on the podcast. Yeah, he doesn't shame easily, but uh, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And so, and I want to mention this too. So, well, well first of all, a couple of things. Number one, uh, you are appearing here because. Uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Steve G. He was actually the host of you and your wife, Carla, when you all were up in uh, Crested Butte, uh, probably uh, six, seven years ago, something like that. Do you remember being up there in Crested Butte? Oh, sure. Yeah, that was fun. It was a real good lineup of great speakers. It was a fun place to be and uh, a fun little town. And we had the opportunity of driving from Denver to Crested Butte because they kept postponing our planes, postponing, postponing. Finally, we said, we need to get there. We rented a car and had this beautiful, beautiful drive from Denver to uh, Crested Butte. So God take care of us always. I'm going to change your plans, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I've heard you talk about this before, also the the change of plans. And, you know, as you know, you've been invited to speak at a lot of different conferences. And I know you talked about Ken D and what he says about getting to the conference. And if you're late, how, you know, uh, by the way, I love Ken D. Right. Uh, but not, uh, so t talk to me about that whole <clears throat> okay, yeah. I just soon tell somebody else's story. <laughs> and Ken, Ken said uh, he was uh, supposed to speak in, I think it was Houston. And uh, he lived in San Diego, California. And he got on a plane and they, uh, they went, to, uh, went to, from San Diego to Denver. And then they were supposed to go from Denver to Houston. And, you know, you, you're sitting on a plane, you start talking to the person next to you, where are you going? Why are you going there? No, 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 you're going home, you're leaving home, whatever. And so he told this guy, yeah, he's going going to speak at an AA conference in Houston. The guy said, oh, I'm going to Houston. And so anyway, they got to Denver and they got, a lot of times Denver planes get get sidetracked. I don't know why, but maybe because of the mountains. But um, 
but they waited and the plane they were supposed to be on was postponed. And then finally they had to put it on another plane and they got postponed for a couple of hours. And uh, the guy said to, to Ken, so this conference in Houston, when do you, when are you supposed to speak? He said, uh, tonight. And he said, what time? He said, eight o'clock. He said, well, <laughs> you're not going to make it. No, no, we're not going to make it. Uh, so, well, how big a conference is it? I don't know, over a thousand people, I guess. Oh my God! Well, what what'll they do? He said, "Well, they, they'll have somebody else give the talk. You know, anybody there can give the talk." <laughs> and the guy said, "Well, if if anybody there can give the talk." Why are they flying you in from San Diego? Ken said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the ob obvious answer, Ken would have been too humble to, to say so, but he's a great speaker, a very oh, yeah. funny guy with a great spiritual message. Yeah, I tried to get him on here. He is just kind of declining all, yeah. you know, uh, invites uh, recently. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll pick it up again. But uh, but I understand he's been out there so many times. Uh, he likes to focus on, you know, his local San Diego group instead. Well, Ken, Ken is overcome with humility occasionally. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, one for a while. I don't know if you know. He went to live with uh, an Indian tribe. I think the Hopis, but it may have been a different tribe. But uh, went to live with him for a while. He didn't do any speaking. And uh, I, whether he went to AA meetings there, I don't know. But uh, then, he, you know, then he came back and he got back speaking again. And and uh, he's always sponsoring people. You know, you can call him and talk to him. In fact, it's hard to get off the phone with him. But, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know. He just sometimes he feels like not that he doesn't have a message to carry, but a lot of other people do as well. And he'd rather focus on uh, local, you know, yeah. and I, I don't yeah. have that uh, humility thing going for me. So, yeah, <laughs> so I'm pretty much always available. <laughs> Yeah. And so anybody out there listening, I'm sure you can find if you look up Ken D San Diego, California, and you want to find uh, some of his Oh gosh, hilarious and moving talks. Uh, he just he does a great job. So I, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast eventually. But so the other thing I wanted to bring up, though, as I signed into this meeting here today, you were doing a little uh, strumming on the guitar. In fact, I said, "Hey, what are you playing there?" And you said. A guitar. And I said, well, I know it's a guitar, <laughs> but uh, I'm assuming that the guitar is uh, prominent in your existence. Am I right? Well, uh, you know, it was um, for a long time. Um, uh, I don't even play every day now. I mean, there was a long periods where I used to play every day, sitting in my studio, waiting for, uh, for this encounter to happen and i have 15 guitars in here so i decided to play one of them <laughs> but uh and i always love doing it when i'm doing it um i used to sing and uh i have in last january i was diagnosed with copd which uh i had heard of it before but i thought it meant the colorado police department 
but it, <laughs> it stands for uh, chronic um, chronic obstructive pulmonary obstructive. disease. It means it's an incurable lung disease. And uh, so sometimes I have trouble getting through a, a long sentence, let alone uh, to sing a song. I've lost the lower half of my range and I just don't. So now I sing like everybody else. <laughs> my wife, Carla, who always <laughs> said she can't sing, sings much better than I do now. Um, but uh, uh, and I, it's funny because I used to sing when I gave my talk. I would talk about I had in 1970, I, uh, I auditioned for and got a part in the first national tour of hair the the New York musical Hair. And uh, wow. so I traveled three and a half years in the first national tour of Hair playing one of the lead roles. And it was a fun job. But I used to sing in my talk, sing the songs that I that I auditioned with. And I can't do that anymore because it uh, has to do with James Brown and Otis Redding. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I can't hit those high notes anymore. Wow. Okay, so let's dive into your story here a little bit. Uh, um, Tell me, uh, like, did you, have you ever thought around, have you ever sat around and thought about, you know, what made me an alcoholic? Why am I an alcoholic? I mean, have you gone through that kind of mental gyrations? Well, I did when I was new, you know. I mean, what makes me an alcoholic is that my body doesn't process alcohol <laughs> in the same way that 90% of the people on the planet do. Um, you know, I mean, that's uh, pretty much it. Um, but, you know, when you're new, you, you actually, I, I think we, we do this looking for a way out, you know, come, they say, look for the similarities, not the differences, which by the way, <laughs> is, uh, is why I, I noticed uh, when I signed in, it said pronouns. I make my pronouns we are because uh, a lot of people like to put the pronouns after their names now. Yeah, the, so that's interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm seeing that while we're yeah, uh, talking. As, and and why, why is that side issue? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like people, you don't see people putting their race and their age, and then some people put their sobriety dates and their phone numbers, which is something. But uh, it's funny, all of a sudden, people have started putting their their pronouns after their names as if it were not an outside issue. And, uh, <laughs> right. And so I, I thought the, like when you put we hour, which I'm looking at, I, I thought it was kind of like a AA related sort of pronoun. Absolutely. Like it you- means look for the similarities, not the differences, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's, but it's passive aggressive. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to drink over being passive aggressive. <laughs> I ask God to remove my arrogance if it stands in the way of my usefulness to him and my fellows. So far, so good. <laughs> but um, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. were talking about what ways, makes one an alcoholic. Ways to, to, to get out of here, you know, because, I mean, when I came in, it seemed like I heard a lot of people saying, um, you know, I come from an alcoholic family. My my wife, Carla, uh, came from an alcoholic family and started drinking young. I, I never had a drink till I was 18. Uh, my parents, in fact, my whole immediate family 
None of them are alcoholics. Uh, my dad enjoyed a beer occasionally. Uh, and he actually said one time, I'd enjoy a beer. Um, but the idea of drinking so much beer that it affects the way I walk and talk and drive a car, it's kind of insane. You know, I'm, it's like, oh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I, uh, you know, he would uh, stop what he was doing on a Saturday afternoon and go have a beer, you know, working in the car, working in the yard, you know, watching a football game, stop and have a beer and then go back to what he was doing. So, I mean, my mom, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I talk about it sometimes. My mom may have been an alcoholic, but we couldn't tell because she wouldn't drink. And you, know, <laughs> you really can't accurately diagnose somebody with alcoholism if they won't swallow any alcohol. And when I finally got around to asking her, I was about three years sober, Mom, what did you drink? And she said, uh, what do you mean? I said, <laughs> Well, <laughs> that was English. Why don't you drink? You mean you mean now? No, I mean ever. I don't know. Are you an alcoholic? Am I am I an alcoholic? Have you ever seen me take a drink? No, you know. But I know hundreds of alcoholics that don't drink. I mean, what's your deal? And she said, <laughs> I don't know. And she got kind of defensive, you know. <laughs> Like I'm calling her an alcoholic, and she <laughs> and she said, when I was young and my friends drank, I, you know, I drink with them. Every time I drank, I got sick, stupid, and obnoxious, so I just stopped. And I said, "You what? You got to drink through that, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> the promised land lies beyond sick, stupid, and obnoxious. You can't just." puke on a few friends' shoes and then give it up forever. <laughs> so, you know, as good as she was, she was she was a lovely lady. She's about four foot ten. And uh uh generous, funny, smart, um caring, loving woman, uh musical, but she just didn't have the tenacity. <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> she, she might have made it if she just stuck with it, but yeah. it's hard to falter, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It was easy for me. I mean, I never—that's another thing. I never had a drink till I was eighteen. I mean, I was virtually a man. I was, you know, draftable age when I got sober. I mean, when I when I started drinking, and uh, I just uh, I I my friend Morris, he was like a sex sponsor. You know, he was like a little bit more advanced than the guys we hung out with. And he told me, if you want to get... You know, Wait a sec. Let me make sure. I, you just said he was a sex sponsor. He was more advanced. The guy yeah, was I mean, he was, he, was, he was more sexually advanced than the guys we hung out with, you know. And okay. uh, uh, there was about five of us. Uh, Rich Berger, Morris Walker, Rick Kendall, and comedian Steve Martin. We hung out in high school, and uh, I mean, he wasn't a comedian then. We were better comedians than he was, but uh, <laughs> but he he was a hard worker. He had, but none of those other guys are alcoholics, you know. And and we drank together, smoked dope together, and stuff. And uh, oh, they all grew up, I guess, you know. Uh, and um, I just uh, I just kept drinking, but but Morris said if. Uh, if you want to get a home run with this girl, you got to get her drunk. 
So I heard that. So I want to get that home run thing, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> one stole the quarter of Rainier Rail. I was like 18. And this girl and I went and parked and I pulled it out from under the seat and opened it up and had a drink of it, which tasted like carbonated dishwater. But I and I passed it to her. She drank some. We passed it back and forth. And first time I ever had an alcohol buzz. And I thought, whoa, this is why people like this, you know. So that was my first alcohol buzz. And the first time I ever had sex in front of a witness. And uh, <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do both of these things much as I can the rest of my life. <laughs> so I did the best I could. And I uh, got out of high school and got a guitar. I had a guitar ready and I started playing guitar. And, and uh, first acoustical guitar, telling jokes and singing songs and coffee houses and then when the Beatles came to the U.S. and opened up a whole new area of music and went from Kingston Trio and Peter, Paul and Mary to the Beatles or Rolling Stones, uh, the Yardbirds, the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Big Brother and the Holding Company. I got an electric guitar, moved up to Hollywood, got in a band, a couple of different bands. And then, I, as I mentioned before, I got I had an audition and I got the part in... Uh, and hair did that for three and a half years and that you know just a fun job so okay a couple things number one you said it was a high school where you're going to, to with uh steve martin you yeah. guys were like hanging out very cool uh just curious you guys do you have any relationship today or did it end not up exactly i mean we don't hang out you know i don't hang out with any of those guys but all of those guys you know, I can contact anytime. I can call Steve. Sometimes we exchange emails. I mean, I don't remember the last time we talked on the phone. He invited me up to his house for dinner one time. A friend of ours was coming from Connecticut. One of the Fools Unlimited is what we called ourselves. And uh, <laughs> um, we were, uh, uh, this, our friend Rick came from Connecticut out for a high school reunion. Steve didn't go to the reunion because, you know, he just, a lot of people that didn't know him want to hang out, you know, want to, anyway, you know, it's hard being a celebrity, but anyway, so went up to Steve's house for dinner and, and the three of us got together. But I mean, anytime I want, he calls me all the time. Uh, sometimes my daughter lives in Santa Barbara and she's a columnist. Uh, her name's Starshine Rochelle. And she did an article about Steve in the local paper up there. And Steve kind of, uh, uh, became friends with her a little bit. So he'll send me an email once in a while. I'm performing at the Santa Barbara Bowl. If Starshine or her husband or her sons want to come, let me know, you know, that kind of thing. Ah, oh, very nice. He doesn't do that for me when he plays at the Hollywood Bowl because he's got too many friends in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned also uh, being in the, the play Hair. Yeah. It, that that lasted for how long? Three years? Yeah, about three and a half years. All over and the I'm US sorry, and I missed the date on that. Were you sober at that time or not? Oh, sober? no. <laughs> Way before that. that. Okay. No, the audition was in uh, 1970. So March of 70, they hired me to go to Vegas. We played Vegas from March till October. And then uh, we left and became the first national tour um, and toured the United States and Canada for three and a half, three years. And, uh, you know, we would do mostly two, sometimes three weeks. 
Uh, one time we were in one place in Toronto for a month. Um, and, uh, you know, living in hotels primarily and, and uh, drinking and drugging and sexing and wasn't a bad life, John. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on just a second. We will be continuing our conversation with Doug R. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you. The Listener Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. All right. So so you're not one of those guys. And I guess it says, uh, what's the saying here? I wouldn't trade my oh, best day. My best day for my best. I wouldn't trade my best day drinking for my worst day sober. Yeah. Can you imagine people saying shit like that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that out. I mean, and I know people that that is true. They say it, and and uh, if I if I talk, they say no, I wouldn't. I never had a good day drinking. I'd say, oh, poor baby, you know, because I <laughs> I had some good good days drinking mm-hmm. and using. Um, yeah, and, and that I've you know, had some bad bad days in thirty four years of sobriety, but uh, I don't know about it. very much. Right. And, you know, I uh, when I hear that, sometimes I'm like thinking, well, listen, if you ever go back out, you come get me and I'll, I'll show you how it's done. All right. Uh, <laughs> I I still have some pretty good skills. I'm pretty sure I could uh, I could uh, dust off and uh, get people going in the right direction. All right. So. <clears throat> All right, so you're you're out there touring, you're having a good time, you're living the big life. Uh, at some point, I'm assuming this thing started to take a little bit of a dive. Yeah, not during the tour, you know. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, I meant after that. Yeah, after that, well, see, towards the end of that run, I had hooked up with a with a girl um, who was working in the show. She wasn't a performer; she was she worked in the office and. Uh, we got together and, and she got pregnant and we had a little girl and uh, who was born on the road. Sarshine, their name, because she was born when we were, you know, uh, I came off stage and, 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 uh, and her mother's there and she goes, she's, I don't know, six, seven, eight months pregnant. She said, I got it. If it's a girl, Starshine. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, whatever. I, mean, I don't care because I-, I know it's going to be a boy. I mean, look at me. You know, <laughs> how could my sperm produce anything but a man child? <laughs> it's a good thing I never was obsessed with my ego. Anyway, uh, uh, but uh, so we did. We had this little girl, Starshine. And, Starshine. Uh, and, uh, she went back to L.A. and she set up housekeeping. And when the show had finished its run, um, I came home and I was home for a while and I don't know, she, you know, uh, she went to work for doing office temp work and I kept auditioning for things and I never, I got a lot of callbacks, but never really made it to get the part, you know, and, and I would, uh, visit friends and cheat on her mother and, and, uh, take her to bars and auditions and stuff. And, 
And on my on the back of my Harley, I got I went to Goodwill and got a car seat and welded some brackets on it. Strapped <laughs> it to the back of my Harley. She's riding around, no helmet and diapers on the back of a Harley in LA traffic. And I think, what a good parent I am, taking care of my <laughs> kid during the day. You know, but finally her mother just said, Look, stay in your daughter's life. I know you love her, she loves you, but just get the hell out of mine. I can't do this anymore. So she was uh she was a, a really good mother, really good mother. And I did the best I could to contribute to her, uh, to my daughter's upbringing. But, not, you know, I just stayed in her life. I didn't, you know, her mother remarried and married a great guy. And there were times, the, the more I drank and used, the, the worse parent I became. Uh, she got, grew up when she was going to school. And I mean, one time I went to her school and I, and, uh, she told me the next day, my teacher, my math teacher said, how charming you were. You know, you were funny and charming. That was one time. Another time I went there and I was a little too drunk and I tripped over a chair and I yelled at somebody who was in my way and I tried to make a pass at one of her teachers. And, you know, just she never knew if I was going to end up coming, be the, the charming dad that everybody liked or the asshole that, you know, that just embarrassed her. One time I went to pick her up at her mom's house. I was on a Saturday after Saturday at noon. I'm going to pick her up. We're going to spend the weekend together. And I was already drunk. I didn't mean to be. You know, it gets out of hand. And her stepfather said, Doug, you're drunk. You know, I can't let Star get in the car with you. And I knew he was right. I was embarrassed and ashamed. You know, and uh, God, I, I, you know, I, I, I was, I left there. Drove down the street I, and, I, and I started crying so hard I couldn't stand it. I had to pull in a liquor store and get a bottle of whiskey to stop the pain. And it works. A couple of pulls on that bottle of whiskey and that pain, you know, that kind of pain that you're so embarrassed and ashamed that you think it's going to get worse every second from now on. And a couple of shots of whiskey, it's gone. You know, that's what alcohol does for me. When people say, why, why do you drink so much? And you want to say, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so take me from there, Doug. So uh, at some point, you make your way into AA. Um, what sort of, what do you want to chronicle before you actually get up to AA? Is there any other significant milestones? Well, besides hurting, disappointing, embarrassing my daughter, which was a really big deal to me. But it wasn't enough for me to give up alcohol. I wanted to control and enjoy it, you know. Um, but other than also, I started hurting myself. You know, I, I slid um, on my <laughs> motorcycle. I, I, I made a wrong turn and slid under a tractor trailer. And I got up from that. I was, I had a road rash, but I got up, I was like, hey, I won, you know, <laughs> I lived through that, <laughs> and I scratched my bike, and scratched my leg, and my arm, and, you know, but hey, uh, uh, another time I was drunk, and I, I skied off a cliff uh, in the Southern California uh, mountain snow areas, you know, and, and I broke my shoulder, and I was out of work for six weeks, until my shoulder healed, and I got back to work, and I uh, went to a party one night, and uh, 
ended up this girl and I went to get eggs in the morning so somebody could make breakfast. And it was such a beautiful morning. We thought we should have sex in the great outdoors. So we found a, we found a parking structure, a four-story parking structure, and managed to get up to the top of that. And I fell off of it four stories, 54 feet straight down, landed on my feet, but my knees buckled, of course, and I kicked myself in the ass and broke my pelvis in two places and also snapped the heel bone off my right foot and shoved it through my foot like a bowling ball and broke all the little bones in my right foot. So I didn't walk away from that one. But here's the good news. That was the parking structure of St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank. So... Oh, well. they didn't have so it. I, I do have to ask this, though, just I, I, this is the way my mind works. Uh, were you able to consummate the relationship before that accident or did it happen? No, <laughs> no, oh, no, no. But since you asked, no, because we, <laughs> what happened was the gate was locked and we went up the fire escape and the fire escape door was locked. But I knew it would be open from the inside. So I jumped to the wall hoping to go over the wall and open the door. But I made the wall, jump to the wall, but it was thicker than I thought, and I was drunker than I thought. Turned out I had a 0. .40 blood alcohol level, and uh, which evidently some people die from that. <laughs> but I guess if you're used to it, you, you, you're an acrobat. Anyway, um, so I felt that's why I fell off of that thing, and so we didn't. But, but since you asked, while I was in the hospital for 10 days, that girl oh, came no. to visit me, and we pulled the curtain closed, and we were finally <laughs> to consummate. But I couldn't move very much. When you have a broken, broken pelvis, man, everything, every muscle is connected <laughs> to your pelvis. So, <laughs> anyway, I won't go into the details. Of You're that. right, right, right. We'll, we'll, uh, let, it, but we'll let it drop I got, there. Finally, the, I was there for 10 days, and they finally figured out how to kind of put my foot back together so it looked like a foot again after eight hours of surgery. I had friends bringing me in whiskey and cocaine uh, into the hospital, and it never occurred to me to ask the doctors, look, I know you're giving me Demerol and Percodan for the pain. Uh, I'm self-administering cocaine and Irish whiskey. It's going to be a conflict, you know. I mean, you couldn't even think about it. I thought, hell, I'm in the hospital. What do they feel like? They got to come find me somewhere. Anyway, I got. But what happened was the gal that I was with, that I, my big, my best drinking partner Teddy, this I I fell off a building and she hit bottom, and uh, she decided to go to AA. And and the difference in who she became, oh. crazy, crazy, loudmouth, drunk woman. Everybody loved her because she, well, for one thing, she was a gifted actress. But, uh, but she became a lady in every sense of the word, John. Every sense of the word, she just became a lady. She be, she would show up appropriately dressed when she said she was going to be there, speaking in whole sentences. You know, and everybody loved that, and she wasn't going to die, you know. Um, and But every time I talked to her, she'd say things like meetings and steps and sponsors. And finally, I told her, hey, listen, give me a favor. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, Ted, if I ever see my life, if I ever see alcohol interfering in my life, 
I probably will go to AA. She said, Jesus, Doug, how many jobs have you lost from being drunk? You've been asked not to come to your daughter's house drunk anymore. You, you know, you skied off a cliff drunk. You're out of work for six weeks. You fell off a four-story parking structure with a 0. .40 blood alcohol level. You're still on crutches. What would you call interference? Brain death? <laughs> She's got a good voice. I, I said, well, yeah, I, okay, I see where you're coming from, you know, but, <laughs> but I, I don't think accidents should count. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, anybody fall off a four-story building is going to get hurt, drunk or sober. So you got alcoholism mixed up with gravity. See, <laughs> and, uh, she, she said, "You're impossible. You're impossible. I'm, I'm out of here." So I thought, okay, I won that one. But I watched her life. <laughs> I watched her put put her life together. She started working in treatment. She she met and married a handsome, talented TV actor. They had a little girl. You know, I mean, I just saw her life getting together and my life going farther apart. <coughs> I can barely, I can barely hold a job. Fortunately, I worked in a union where you call in to get sent to, to, to TV studios, you know, so it wasn't like I'd get fired from one and I call in the union and get sent to another. But, um, uh, my life was really going down the toilet, John, and I finally decided to go and try AA. Really what I had in mind was whatever these 12 steps are, maybe there's two or three of them that I can apply to seriously cutting down. <laughs> you know, because I don't know what the steps are, but maybe there's a couple of them, I don't know. And I went to an AA meeting, and I got my first big book. and. Uh, I, you know, I, I like the people that, you know, it was obvious. I knew that AA was a place for people who drank like me and didn't drink anymore. I knew that from watching Teddy and some other people I knew. Uh, and I didn't care about doing that. And I really didn't care about all the God stuff in here, you know. Um, but uh, I got a big book and I started looking through this big book. Like doctor's opinion, I've had the doctor's opinions, Bill's story, who cares? You know, and I got to chapter four, we agnostics, and I thought, ah, okay, good. This is where, this is how the smart people stay sober without God, we agnostics, right? So I, I poured some more whiskey and, uh, <laughs> and read, I went through about a half a bottle of whiskey, first of my first reading of the big book. But, uh, I read that chapter, We Agnostics, and I, I this is, I, I missed the whole part about the smart people stay sober. Without <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I, I, you know, the first paragraph says, if when you honestly want to, find you can't quit entirely, or once you start, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. And if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the smart people stuff? You know, I mean, I'm just ignoring anything that doesn't apply to what I'm looking for. But the second reading, I went, I read it and I thought, I need to read this again. I missed everything. So I read it again. And the second reading, I did notice a sentence that says, we found 
that God does not make too hard terms on those who seek him. And I and I didn't have an epiphany or anything when I read that, but I thought this is a different this is a different kind of concept of God than I, I'm used to hearing. I'd never heard anybody say that. And so uh, I went back to AA, and that's that's what happened. I went back to AA, and my first eight months in AA, I didn't do anything right except keep coming back. I didn't have a home group or a sponsor. I didn't read the book or take the steps. I didn't know what a tradition was. I certainly didn't have a commitment anywhere, didn't believe in God, and I was drinking every day. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I really did everything wrong except keep coming back. And at that time, there was a, this is 1986, there was about 2,000 meetings a week in L.A. So I could go to a different meeting every day. And nobody would really get to know me, but I kind of get an overview of AA. And I'm so glad that happened, you know, because I really, what I was trying to do was keep from, from people knowing me. But what I did was got a good overview of AA. And eventually, eventually what happened, I came home drunk and uh, I fell on my knees and asked God for help. I didn't even mean to. I, I used to fall a lot, but this one night I fell on my knees in my bedroom and I spilled whiskey all over the bed and I grabbed, I put the bottle, there was still whiskey in the bottle. I started sucking the whiskey out of the bedspread and a voice in my head, I swear to God, John, if I, it felt, have you ever heard one of those voices where you feel like if somebody else were in the room, they would hear it also? That's what I heard. It said, hey man, that ain't right. <laughs> you you thirsty? There's whiskey in the bottle, man. <laughs> I said, I, I'm not I'm not thirsty. I'm uh, I'm frugal. I'll uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll ruin and <laughs> I'll waste my life, but I'm not letting whiskey evaporate in the bedspread overnight. And mm. I looked at what I was doing, man. There was whiskey in the bottle. I'm sucking it out of. I've been going to AA for eight months. And I haven't learned how to not suck whiskey out of a bedspread. And I did a dumb thing. I felt like maybe I'm one of those people that can't get this thing. The book says there are some people that can't get it. And I couldn't believe that because I'm a smart man, you know, and, and talented. I've got, you know, I've, uh, I've had recognizable talent <laughs> in my life mm -hmm. and, and recognizable intelligence I can't be one of those people that can't get this thing, but the evidence says I am. And I did a dumb thing. I said, God, God, if you're there, please help me. I didn't put any conditions on it. I didn't say, help me put my life together. Help me get sober. Help me stop drinking. Help me, you know, to be a good father. I just said, if you're there, please help me. And I'm not sure that I even knew it was a prayer. I probably... But I went to bed and went to sleep. And over the next two weeks, almost every day, somebody from AA was between me and a drink, behind the counter of a liquor store, in the in the pushing a cart in the aisle of the supermarket in the liquor department. Hey, hey, one day at a time, you know. And I'm taking chips. I got different sobriety dates at different groups. I'm taking, <laughs> you know, claiming sobriety, and I and I, you know. <laughs> I see somebody in the store. I don't remember what meeting they're going to or if I have 60 days or 90 days or whatever. But, you know, 
uh, a bartender, a goddamn bartender, went in this bar, and this guy from AA, I said, what are you doing in here? He says, I work in here. What are you doing in here? Uh, you got any coffee? You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I came in to use the phone. <laughs> and uh, I finally, finally, after two weeks of this, I realized that I had asked God for help. And I clearly had gotten the help that I asked for. That may have happened before. But if I did, I never noticed it. But I couldn't not notice this, that I asked for help. And then I'm running on into all these people from AA between me and a drink. And it didn't keep me from drinking. I still drank every day. But you can't not notice the hurdles you have to jump through after a while. And I, uh, I was on the way to work. And I just realized it's all hit me at once. And I pulled the car over to the side of the road. And I said, you and me, God, I get it. You and me, and what, what do I got to do? Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear another voice. <laughs> well, I kind of I kind of did. seemed like I could hear God laughing. You know? <laughs> 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 All right, Doug. So here's what I run into sometimes with uh, old people. We are just now getting sober with you. I've got some appointments I have to get to. I'm enjoying this conversation so much. How about we pause the recording button here in a second? I get you on the calendar and you come back at some other point to tell the what it was like version of this okay what's happened after because yeah, you've got because yeah. now we've got 34 years to cover right <laughs> and i i would love to have a conversation about that would you be willing to come back at some other point sure this isn't very painful <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> this uh, uh hopefully it's not painful and i would love to have you back and i'm also going to talk to you a little bit about your wife, Carla, after we uh, uh, hit the pause button on the recording here. But uh, here's what I always do. I, I, I close it out with uh, uh, page 164 from the big book. And it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Doug R., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Doug, I really appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure, John. Oh, that Doug R. is a hoot, is he not? Uh, and I'll, I'm going to look very forward to having him on an upcoming episode. Now, remember, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love you to share this episode with a friend or a family member. It may be just what they need today. Thank you so much again, Mr. Doug R. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. Lisa! 
writes in, Lisa V, actually, she says, Hey, John, I just wanted to drop you a line and tell you how much your podcast has meant to me in my sobriety. I've been sober since May 31st of 2021, so I'm still very much a newcomer, and I know I have a lot to learn. I've heard some really great things, and I have definitely not left at the cur... <laughs> oh, I... I I have heard a lot of great things that I have definitely not lot excuse me not left at the curb for the trash man to pick up <laughs> but I've held on to whether you're featuring a guest who can help me understand the fundamentals of AA and sober living or someone that has a life story I can relate to your show is always worth listening to please continue your your great work you are helping people to keep the plug in the jug and that is how we stay Stay sober in AA. P.S. I love your interview style, and you seem to always ask people the exact questions that I'm wanting to know about. Thanks for all you do. Lisa V in Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, Lisa, that's so kind of you. That, oh gosh, that that uh, message that you sent in just made my day. I so much appreciate it. I really, really do. I appreciate all you guys out there. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm blessed to get to know some of you in person and the people that I know in Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole and the people that I get to see at my, my home group. And, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm a blessed man. And, and then I get to know all of you all virtually and hear your comments and get to kind of be a small part of your sobriety. And it just gives me so much joy. Thank you, Lisa. Claudia writes in and Claudia says, hello, John. Greetings from Brazil. I was driving to work this morning, listening to Rachel W's wonderful story. And I identified as a mother uh, as well with her a lot. And if you have not heard Rachel, let me go here just real quick and look at this. That's Rachel W. Um, excuse me, podcast, you'd think I would know this stuff right off the top of my head, but uh, it's Rachel W, episode number, excuse me, oh, why is it loading so slow? Anyway, Rachel W, if you have not heard that episode yet, I, I would just highly recommend you uh, to go back and uh, review Rachel's uh, episode again. It was absolutely fantastic. And you'll have to excuse me, my, inter- and my internet is not loading right now. But it is like two two or three episodes before this. Uh, I think I released it on like a January 7th, right in that area, if I'm mistaken. And so anyway, you got to go back and hear Rachel it was just absolutely fantastic. Anyway, she says at the end of the episode of Rachel's episode, you were reading audience comments and someone said that they fast forward through your introduction. And I thought, well, first of all, I really have fun with that introduction. And most of the chances are that John and his contagious energy will always bring some inspiration to my day. Well, thank you, Claudia. She says, well, five seconds later, 
you read my oh so you're so she's listening to the email excuse me, she she listened to the episode and she says well five seconds later you read the email that I sent out to you last December I am still catching up on episodes since I spent two weeks of summer vacation at the beach and just returned to work well that sounds pretty cool two weeks of summer vacation in Brazil at the beach hey I think a lot of people would uh, uh trade places with you right now but anyway she said Says, sorry if I sounded too formal or eloquent. Here goes another one. RS, RS, RS. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, you didn't sound too formal or elo- eloquent for me. Uh, formal for me? Are you kidding me? Anyway, she says, here in Brazil, we usually go to English courses since we were kids, and they always focus more on writing in formal language. So whenever I'm writing something in English, I feel like I'm writing an essay. But for the first time when I went to North Carolina, I could not get right what I wanted at McDonald's. <laughs> She's got two big smiling faces. Anyway, if it sounded like I was the Queen of England or Master Yoda speaking, I apologize, but it was a hundred percent sincere and full of love. Again, thank you for reading. It made my day. Best wishes. Looking forward to the episodes you mentioned. Well, guess what? I hope this makes your day too as well, because you got this one read uh, on air, and uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, let me say this. You speak a hundred times better English and write a hundred times better English than I do Spanish or Brazilian, which I think is Portuguese. I I digress. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for uh, writing in. Appreciate that. Alan writes in and Alan says, Hey, John, I enjoy your podcast, especially how all your words end in an S that sound like with a Z. Oh yeah, I had to email him back. I wasn't sure what he meant like that, but apparently uh, those of us with any sort of drawl, if you will, from Texas, uh, uh, the words sound like uh, if it ends in an S, I'm putting a Z on there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to myself. Mm, not, but anyway, uh, you've got a great presence on the podcast, friendly and engaging. Can't think of a particular speaker I like. I just enjoy listening to this podcast. There are so many out there and yours is done very well. I've been sober for a while and since the pandemic, and I have been exploring meetings all over the world online, and I'm trying to expand my spiritual growth by listening to more and more diverse shares and experience strength and hope. Do you ever, oh yeah, I remember this, do you ever interview AA historians or trustees? I just read the book, Writing the Big Book. And the author is speaking at a history symposium tonight, and he gave me the link. I wasn't able to attend if you're interested. Also, the book, 12 Steps to Religious Religionless Spirituality, is an amazing book and written by former Class A trustee Ward B. Ewing. Anyway, thanks for your service. Take care, Alan. Well, 
I, I don't know if you're uh, referred to trustees that are uh, uh, alcoholic trustees or non-alcoholic trustees like Ward there, but this particular episode right here is Jimmy D. And uh, I, I'm always uh, uh, interested in interviewing somebody. I have a tendency, and as you know, I emailed you back and said it, I was asking if you could get the name of the person who write that book, who wrote that book for me, so I could get in touch with them and possibly have a conversation. But anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Alan. And uh, I will keep my uh, ears to the ground. And I am interested in AA history, very much interested in it. Jason Z posted in the Facebook group. So we have several people in the Facebook group now that um, we'll post in there. They'll give, you know, something from AA literature and sometimes give a little commentary after it, sometimes not. And they do quotes and they do a lot of things. And Jason Z has been posting a lot of stuff lately. And this is his post from January 29th. Anyway, it says, uh, it says life will take on a new meaning to watch people recover to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And many of you are going to recognize that. That is from page 89 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But then he follows up, Jason Z follows up with a little bit of a commentary. And the commentary says, when my daughter was just five months old, my wife noticed something with one of her eye muscles that the doctors didn't see. I worked with a pediatric I worked with a pediatric eye surgeon who was good enough to see her immediately and evaluate my wife's findings. Rather than having round eyes, our daughter's eyes are slightly oval shaped, resulting in vision that was extremely blurry. She was given a rather strong prescription for glasses, and both my wife and I were eager to get the prescription filled. Not many stores catered to a five-month-old child, though, and we drove all over the city trying to find assistance. After a long couple of days, glasses in hand, we placed them on our daughter's face and watched, her, watched a miracle happen. A baby who had never seen the world woke up to a world of shapes, colors, and objects she had never seen before. She saw her mommy and daddy. She smiled. She looked at her own hand in amazement. It was as close to a biblical mural as I have ever seen in my lifetime. When they say in AA, don't leave before the miracle happens, they mean it. They've seen scores of dead men and women brought to life, pulled out of loneliness and desperation into light, laughter, and love. We are not given new glasses, but we are given a new perspective and we see new colors, shapes, and objects in our world once again. It's not quick as the miracle that I saw in my daughter, because as they say, time takes time, but it can and will happen if we let it. Happy Saturday. 
Thank you, Jason, for posting that. I think that's a great way to end the episode this week. God bless you all. Uh, May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Once again, I take this one week at a time. Hope to be back next week with everybody. God bless you.